You're listening to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast, brought to you by John Lothian News. Welcome to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast. I'm Matt Rabel, editor at John Lothian News, and I'm here joined with Tom Thompson, also an editor at John Lothian News. Yes, and it appears that I am recording from home and Tom is recording on a sandy beach somewhere. It looks pretty windy. Are you sure your audio equipment's going to be able to take care of all that? We have we have only the best equipment down here in Miami. So it's I'm Phoning this in from my Miami studio. You got a great view. I, I can see the whole beach. I can't even see the windows. Yep. That's that's not a that's not a Zoom background, is it? Not at all. Not at oh, okay. All. Well, we are here to discuss the comings and goings of the cryptocurrency market and related industry. And I thought I would open things up today by just giving a few quick updates about Ripple, the SEC's favorite digital asset company currently. I'm being sarcastic, of course. They are still kind of bogged down in a rather nasty uh, lawsuit by the SEC. So I thought that uh, I was looking over some other non-litigious news related to Ripple from the past couple of months. And there were a couple of things I just wanted to point out. So Michael Barr, who is the newly elected and sworn in President Joe Biden's top choice for the head of the OCC. That's the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, not to be confused with the Options Clearing Corporation. So Michael Barr, he is the top choice for Biden's new head of the OCC. And previously, he was on the advisory board for Ripple. And that started in 2015, and it seems like he left at some point. It's not really clear. All the sources that I've referred to They pretty much all said he left at an undisclosed time. So it kind of seems like he sort of left out the back door in unknown circumstances. So not really sure what that's all about. But there is a new lawsuit that has been filed against Ripple in Florida. Florida resident Tyler Toomey, or Toomey possibly, claims that he owned 135 XRP, the digital asset created by Ripple, in November 2020 and sold it at a 50% loss in December 2020. At the time that, I mean, his holdings were worth like what? By market value, like a hundred bucks, which might be a lot of money to some people, especially these days, you know, times are tough, but he he sold his holdings at a 50% loss in December. And according to the court filing, the plaintiff, that is to say uh, Tyler, seeks to represent a class defined as all persons or entities in the state of Florida who purchased XRP. So he is crusading for the little guy against against Ripple, it seems. It seems I, I, I have to imagine a lot of people who have XRP holdings are kind of not super thrilled about that fact these days. Tom, what do you what's your take on on Ripple? Ripple bounced back. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, pumped on Monday, uh, Monday and Tuesday, I believe, or Sunday and Monday. So yeah, so Ripple's back. Don't worry about it. Ripple's so, back, baby. For yeah, that guy's case, case right out of court, you know. Yeah. Different people are manipulating it now. Not the, uh, not the, 
clean money people, but the dirty money people are, are manipulating it up sure. right now. So yeah, he should yeah. be okay. He'll be okay. He should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of that, I looked at a currency today, and uh, this is just a, a tangent called Polkadot, and that's been around for a little while. It's a big favorite with the DeFi people, mm-hmm. and its market capitalization is right behind Ethereum. No kidding. Ahead of XRP. So, uh, though XRP is back, I mean, it's not as at its all-time highs, but it's back. Mm. Um, it's still being beaten out by Polkadot. So uh, next month, we'll have to look at Polkadot. Back in terms of price or market cap or both? Market cap. Market, market cap. cap. Yeah. Gotcha. We'll have to see how that unfolds. The SEC's lawsuit against Ripple is kind of a big deal for a number of reasons. Not only is it one of the biggest cryptocurrencies, well, I think some people would uh, take issue with me calling it a cryptocurrency, digital asset, let's say. It is one of the biggest by market cap, and it seems like this will have, uh, I, I mean, right before the, the news of the lawsuit broke, they were talking about, uh, that is to say, the company's CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, was talking about potentially relocating to another another country, that is, re- relocating the company to another country, preferably one, he said, I think, that had a little clear, more clearly defined legislation surrounding the trading and selling and buying of digital assets. I think one of the ones that he mentioned was the United Arab Emirates, but I think Singapore and Japan were his top picks. So he's not going to escape anything. No, by going there, his his the lawsuit will will follow. Um, they will, you know, if the SEC prevails. And they're more likely to prevail if he tries to flee the jurisdiction. Yep. Um, they'll just get his money elsewhere. I mean, those countries aren't going to let him um, uh, escape penalties from the U.S. Yeah. So it, it's just a temper tantrum for him. Yeah. Not my problem. Not my. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are uh, there are a lot more important things uh, going on in the grand scheme of things right now, anyway, than you know. Sure, certainly the people who are the folks who are working at Ripple are feeling this a lot harder than the rest of us. But well, yeah, especially some of the officers who seem to have made like five hundred and six hundred million dollars off of uh, the, the kind of the creation of the company. So they really are feeling a lot of pressure right now. No kidding. Uh, yeah. So Weird. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not losing sleep about them tonight. So. Um, I encourage you not to worry about them either. Yeah, it's it's funny. For a very brief period of time, when I first started, you know, reporting on this industry, and was uh, really starting to learn about this stuff, I I was actually a little bit more optimistic about XR. Well, it was called Ripple at that point. I was a little more optimistic about Ripple long term than I was about a lot of other cryptocurrencies. And that is not an opinion that I hold anymore. Um, well, I don't think it'll go away. I don't think that, I mean, there might be huge penalties to pay, mm. meaning hundreds of millions of dollars. But, you know, as you were noting before, there, there are transactions in it. Mm. So there are, are commercial deals uh, tied to it. And, you know, it's got this partnership with MoneyGram to um, expedite cross-border payments for, for MoneyGram. So 
I don't think the SEC would try to shut it down. It would really just like to get back some of the excessive rents that may have been paid by the public into this company. And it was, sure. you know, converted by the uh, founders and, and stuff. So I think, I think, I mean, Ripple is an actual thing. It's much more of an actual thing for transactions than Ether or um, Bitcoin right now. It's not just held for speculation, which is, I mean, which is Ripple's defense. It does say that it's a utility token. So obviously yeah. it's not a security. I, I was thinking mainly in terms of adoption, like 10 years from now, am I going to, am I going to hold XRP for any reason? Am I going to? Am I going to be regularly using services that utilize XR, XRP? You know, I, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, actually, you don't know if you're not doing it already because it is it's so very behind That's the scenes. Good point. Yeah. You know, so if anything, anything that has a transaction outside of the country, you know, very well could. I mean, it's not the majority of the, of transactions, but there are you know significant number of transactions done with that. So yeah, it shows up I here and there. Yeah, I think we can be safe and say that. Ether is not underlying any of our transactions. Yeah. Probably probably no Ether. Yeah. But yeah, so on the regulatory side, the other big news, um, and touched on it briefly at the end of the year, was this announcement by FinCEN that they wanted to have all crypto transactions above $10,000. They wanted them all to be treated the same as cash transactions by financial institutions. And they would include now exchanges and people like that as being uh, required to make these reports. And kind of most controversially, they wanted to uh, lower that number to $3,000 or to require these platforms to keep kind of know your customer sort of information for all of their customers, record it and, uh, you know, be able to track it back. And then most controversially, controversially, they were asking that everybody determine who was receiving the money, which is fine, except if it's going to another bank or another platform or another address if it, or within that same wallet or something like that. But if it's a personal wallet, what they call unhosted wallets, those people are not generally known to the exchange. So if I go to Coinbase and I say I want to you know, buy crypto and put it in your wallet, but you're not a customer of, of Coinbase, you will receive it in your wallet because, because that's the beauty of crypto or Bitcoin, especially that you don't have to know the counterparty, which would be Coinbase in that situation. They wouldn't have to know you. It would just go and then it's gone. So there was a big privacy question. People were very up in arms about it. For some reason, the Treasury Department posted this at the end of the year, um, very close to the end of the administration. It's not clear why they did it, waited so long. And they gave a very short time horizon. The time horizon really was viewed as being abusive. It was so short. It was a 15-day um, public notice comment period. And the industry screamed and shouted about, they got about 7,475 comment letters before the deadline expired. Uh, But then the Mnuchin's Treasury Department extended the uh, comment period for parts of it 
for another 15 days. And for the question about these unhosted wallets, identifying those people and some of the extra record keeping, they extended that time period till end of March. And then that will be now taken up by Janet Yellen's Treasury Department. It's not clear what'll happen with those rules. So the industry is feeling like it has some great victory, but again, it it could be worse. I mean, the new administration in the Treasury Department could be friendlier or less friendly. It's a risk that the, that the industry was taking. And another big sort of, well, this is an SEC-ish, not, a, a, not an issue, but an event, a prospective event. Uh, BACT is going public. BACT, you will remember, is the warehouse division of the Intercontinental Exchange that holds Bitcoin. And so that's how it was all started up. And once upon a time, ICE announced that there was this company backed in this, and the president of BACT kept coming out saying that BACT was going to do this and do that. It was going to be this kind of a futures platform. It was going to start very soon. It was going to launch and and be the best of everything for everybody. It's going to be the easiest thing to use. It was going to be the safest place um, to trade Bitcoin. And you pay for pumpkin spice lattes with Bitcoin. Yes. Starbucks. Yes. And then well, Starbucks, that, Starbucks came out and was like, uh, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> we have not agreed to that. Yeah, we don't, we don't have that. So the ICE came out. ICE is the futures market. And it launched a futures contract about a year or so after this, the first initial things of this is coming, uh, announcements that this was about to happen in a month or two. Uh, but it, 13 months later, I guess, um, they launched the futures trading. The futures trading has been lackluster. They said that they were going to have, um, there was big demand for overnight futures where you would trade it and one day and it would, one day futures and it would settle and then you would go into delivery. None of that really worked out so great. They trade about one thirtieth the volume of their competitor, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. But what they did last year, starting about this time of year, they kind of pivoted away. Pivot is a, a lovely startup term for looking for salvation somewhere else. And so they pivoted out of Bitcoin into digital assets. And they bought a company that would help them with that. Some, they shook up their staff a little bit. And as the year unfolded, it turned out that they wanted to be the platform for your, not for really for your buying your Starbucks latte, but where you would store and maximize and optimize the value of your reward points from Starbucks. So they bought a company that manages rewards points for different companies. And they have designed this app, um, which is essentially a wallet for digital assets. And they are hosting on that app a way to transfer, you know, to buy and sell points. Um, and it can hook to your bank account so you can buy rewards 
at Starbucks, or you can take your gaming rewards. So if you have in-game reward points that are recognized and kept in this wallet, then you can buy Starbucks rewards, or you can do it the other way around. You can use your Starbucks rewards to buy uh, Fortnite points or something like that. E-bucks. Yeah. They've kind of gone, what I would call, say, call from a futures market point of view, or even a cryptocurrency point of view, they kind of have gone down market. You know, you put it on your your gas company, you know, your Exxon Mobil points, and you put on your, they say airline company points, which I don't see as being particularly feasible. So at any rate, that's where they were in the beginning of December. And then they announced that they are getting together with a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company. And the SPAC is going to, it's already traded. It's called, um, that. its symbol is VIH, and it's on, on um, NASDAQ. And it's going to be merged into backed holdings. And it will, this new entity will then have a list, a stock exchange listing. The stock exchange listing will then be transferred from NASDAQ onto the New York Stock Exchange, which seems only right and fit since ICE owns the New York Stock Exchange. And ICE will own, I think, about 65% of the resulting company. Uh, the public, there, there's money already in the, in the SPAC, so that will own uh, a large chunk of it, so about 25%, I guess. And then the remainder will be sold off to the public. Right. So back, I mean, if you read the thing, they don't have a lot of details. They have posted in with the SEC an article that I guess they sponsored to be published by Fortune magazine that makes it sound like they've got an awful lot of regulatory work to do still because the way you buy your, if you want to buy um, Starbucks rewards points with Bitcoin, it says that that transaction goes through ICE, the futures exchange. So you're going to have to have this big delay in doing that because the, the, it's a two or three day process, depending on when you start this whole thing, to settle one of the backed futures exchange contracts. Yeah. So it, it, And the other thing is that there needs to be a, an FCM, a broker, a registered FCM in there, which doesn't look, I mean, that's going to be complicated and that's going to take require having dedicated capital. And it's also not that usual for an exchange like ICE to own a futures broker. So it, I, I think they still have a lot of work to do there. Do you think that there's actually like a need for this or a, a, a demand for this kind of a product? Like I'm just picturing somebody you know, I'm hyperbolizing a little bit. I'm just picturing somebody standing at a coffee shop for two days, just like frozen, just like with their little card there. Uh, I know it's rewards points that they're, you know, they're not literally paying for coffee. But I mean, it seems like well, if you don't a have, lot of rigmarole. Yeah, if you don't have enough rewards points, you're not getting that free latte. Oh, right? shoot. Yeah. yeah. So you've got, you know, you, you, you go in there on Monday morning and the Bitcoin clears around uh, late Wednesday afternoon, got a pretty long line of people back behind you, you know, all waiting to, waiting for you to get that latte. So they call it backed because it's uh-huh. backed up. Yeah. It's backed up. Very good. Boom. Very good. <laughs> um, also, while we're talking about futures, 
the CME has announced that they're going to do Ether futures. They are doing it because, well, they can. They have had the power to do this for a while. Eris X surprised the world and did Ether futures last year. That wasn't particularly successful, but Ether is a popular thing. Eris X's Bitcoin futures is not successful either. So that's not a um, total negative for mm -hmm. uh, CME. So CME is going to launch, I believe, on Monday. I, I think they say it's on February 8th. A lot of times that means the night before if it's because they start their trading, uh, their weekly trading on Sunday evening. So um, contract starts, uh, I think, around 5 o'clock on Sunday night. But their information is kind of hard to dig out. And there's a lot of rigmarole around the whole thing, like why you should be trading this rather than the specifics of it. I, you know, people say, oh, it'll have a slow start. And oh, I imagine it'll do pretty darn well. It'll be an easy way, a very safe and very transparent way to trade Ether against Bitcoin. They're just starting with a futures contract. Their futures are extremely liquid. They do quite well. It's a low cost opportunity for them to, to get. So uh, kudos to them. And uh, my only question would be is why did it take quite so long? Yep. And that's all I've got. Well, another thing I wanted to mention today is um, comes from the world of Bitmain. Bitmain, obviously, is one of the bigger players in the world when it comes to Bitcoin mining. And they have had their share of drama, let's say. So for a little bit of background, in 2019, Bitmain's CEO and co-founder, McCree Zan Ketchwan, was dismissed from his role with the company by Jihan Wu, who was another co-founder of the company. December 2019, Zan stepped down as CEO and Wu, assumed, uh, Wu took over as CEO. By January of 2020, he had ceased to be the company's legal representative. And Zahn then filed multiple lawsuits against Bitmain and its subsidiaries in order to regain his lost position. Now, as of last month, we're recording this in Febu on February 3rd, 2021. So late January of 2021, this is just a week or two ago, Wu wrote in a coded letter posted to Twitter that he would be stepping down as the CEO of Bitmain. Apparently, this was in response to Zahn buying control of the company with the help of a bunch of other Bitmain employees and shareholders, as well as, well, a, another reason that he's stepping down is there, there are apparently aspects of a settlement between Wu and Zahn that he found favorable, and now they're moving forward with this. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the end to yet to one of, of many similar stories in the crypto space uh, in terms of executive infighting. And Tom, I know that you are a big fan of Bitmain. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this. Yes. So my, I, I am a big fan of Bitmain. Um, we'll get to why in a second. But I, when, when this all started happening and they, they both stepped down for a while and then um, Jihan Wu pushed McCree out the door I was amazed by that little tactic because the largest single shareholder was McCree, and he had about like, I don't know, like 40% share. And 
Wu had about a 25% share. So I thought that was pretty nervy to push out the largest shareholder uh, like that. But, and there were a lot of um, way too complicated Chinese regulations like, and, and how the whole game was played. I guess it's very complicated because you, a company registers in a locality and then that locality registers it nationally and companies change names as they go through this whole process. And it, it, it didn't look very settled. But when Wu left, he, I liked Bitmain and I liked Wu, but Wu started doing something very different. He started getting into the transactional business and it seemed like he was done with manufacturing, you know, with the um, design and, and distribution of the ant miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, what he did was a very different kind of business. It's never, I don't, it's never been clear, I don't think, if that affiliated business succeeded or hasn't succeeded. Um, You're talking about Matrix Port, right? Yeah, to the extent I, to which that operates still. Yeah. So that would, but, and the reason why I like Bitmain is that it came from nowhere. It saw an opportunity to design these ASICs. I mean, it kind of, I don't think it came up with the idea of ASICs. Somebody else did that. But these application-specific integrated chips and applying that technology to crypto mining. And in the, the first few years, three or four years, they just had a very singular focus on doing that as well as they could, better than anybody else. And they got market share from that. From outside, it looked like a very clean business operation. They never really got in trouble. I mean, they they kept making their machines better and they were the, either the second, first or second or third best machines for mining Bitcoin at all times from an efficiency point of view, meaning electricity use and things like that. Uh, speed and electricity use. But they then got distracted with this internal corporate uh, struggle. And they just have not been as aggressive and quite as have, haven't done quite as well. It'll be very interesting to see if they, what comes out, what's released, what information's released, if and when, I think it's more when, they decide to go public. Uh, they filed a large number of documents with this um, stock exchange of Hong Kong a couple of years ago, which gave lots of good information, good insight into their business. And now it's two years later, they're still the top dog, but they're not, you know, the highest quality or the the top dog by so much anymore. People are nipping at their heels. So I would like to see what what comes out of all of that. Well, with that, I think it's time to wrap a bow on this episode of the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast. Tom Thompson, thank you so much for once again joining me as I, uh, as we, uh, well, as we together navigate the crazy and oft, oft times confusing world of cryptocurrency and digital assets. Okay, but just remember that we might be crazy, but we're no GameStop. Yeah, we're not GameStop. We're we are no we are nowhere we're we're also not Wall Street bets. Have that kind of vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> not since middle school, anyway. Well, thank you, Tom Thompson, for joining me, and thank you, listeners, for listening. And tune in for our next episode in about a month or so. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. 
For more news, videos, and podcasts like this, head over to johnlothiannews.com.